Dilam Shwidobisa. Good morning. Yes, uh, it's so good to be here. Such a joy, such a, such a joy just to worship our Lord, the King of the universe, the King of the history and the future together. And different continents, different languages, native languages at least, and different cultures, different ethnos groups, but together we are one, one body. Uh, body of Christ, one church, and he's our king. And there is a bright future for all of us, right? Expecting for all of us, uh, yes. Let me give a little introduction to, uh, of, of my family. Uh, since you prayed so faithfully, supported so faithfully for so many years, a little update, a little info on us, and then we will uh, dig into this, the, the passage, okay? This is my beautiful family, except for myself. Uh, uh, my beautiful wife, her name is Nino. Two most popular names in Georgia are Gia and Nino. So you just shout in a crowd, there'll be you know, like 50 Ninos and 50 Gias turning around, you know, <laughs> whom are you calling if, if you call our names. So uh, my wife, she loves the Lord uh, and she just loves to share God's uh, word and, and, and gospel, the gospel, the good news to many people around her. She's just a beautiful and godly woman. And I'm just, I'm just married up, I tell you. Truly, truly, I tell you, I'm married up. Yes, so, and our three kids, uh, our daughter is the oldest one. Her name is Sally. She's 16. She's an evangelist by just by the gift of God, by nature. She, she shares the gospel to her classmates, to her teachers. She asks questions, hardcore questions. And then uh, she prays constantly for her non-believing friends and sharing with them constantly. So just a, and very smart, very bright. And our middle son, Andrea, he's on uh, the left side. Uh, he's 12. And then the youngest son, Timote, is in the middle. He's our hooligan, a pirate. A little pirate tortures us constantly and we constantly, we love him, you know. Uh, so uh, Andrea had a surgery. He's the one that had the surgery. Uh, he's now almost my height. He was uh, smaller, much smaller two years ago, but he's doing very well, just so you know. Thank you so much for your prayers. Uh, he had a major, major heart surgery, and he was, it's, he's doing very well. Praise the Lord. So Georgia, just, uh, we'll spend about several minutes talking about Georgia. Beautiful country. Beautiful country. You know, uh, lots of covered with mountains, and you'll see the location, geographic location. It's right in the center of the crossroad, really, uh, connecting north and south, east and west. And this is, you know, any, all the trading and political, you know, just the, uh, the ways we're going through Georgia, just like they were through Israel, you know, a small Israel and that region. So through Georgia in our region. And this is why the countries historically, Georgia existed for over 3,000 years, first mentionings of Georgian states. And then over this history, Persians, Mongols, Turks, uh, Arabs, and then Russia uh, was uh, con conquering, occupying, destroying, you know, was not very helpful to just holding for too long. So and then we were gaining our independence. We did not turn into a Muslim country. That's, that They tried hard. They were successful with the neighbor Azerbaijan, but couldn't do it with Georgia, who still remains, and I'll tell you a little more, um, um, Orthodox, Eastern Orthodox, Georgian Orthodox. So small country, uh, the neighbor countries is Russia, the one of the blessings you have not having Russia biggest border, you know, uh, with but Canada, good friends. So, uh, and then Azerbaijan, Armenia, Turkey, you see down, uh, and then you go south. After after it, there is Iran, Iraq, and other 
uh, Islamic world, you know, uh, below us. So we're in the middle of between, you know, uh, Asia and Europe. We consider ourselves Europeans, but some mess place us into uh, Asia, so it doesn't matter really. So, but however, uh, a small country, 27,900 square miles, right? Uh, 27,000 square miles, about the south of, south, size of the West Virginia. Uh, small country, really. I mean, a couple of hours, you, five hours, you, you, know, you go to the longest sites from one age to another age. Yes, uh, and then population is 3.7 million. Uh, and the many empires, historically huge, big empires ruled the world, don't exist anymore. For by God's grace only, we still exist. Uh, one of the smaller nations, but still exist on the map. And I think God has special purpose for Georgia, being a light uh, of the gospel for the region, because Georgia is the most free place. Yeah, so, uh, and uh, I love the flag. Don't you love it? Five crosses and the biggest cross in the middle, right? It's very symbolic, right? I wish... This would be the reality of uh, our society, our people, that the cross would be in the middle. But uh, this is not it. Uh, it's just on the, you know, on, on the flag and on the churches, etc. But so beautiful mountains. Just uh, like, uh, take, you know, look some of the pictures of the mountains. Uh, covered probably 85% of the territory covered as mountains. Lots of ski resorts. Just come, come ski. It'll cost you cheaper than skiing in California, probably. Yeah. Uh, so many Europeans come for that purpose. It's cheaper than to ski in Italy or Switzerland. Uh, you know, uh, just to fly, take a flight to Georgia. Beautiful mountains. This church, you see it on top of the mountains. I don't know how to build it. It's probably like 8,000 square, 8,000 uh, feet above sea level. Uh, somehow they built it uh, about a thousand years ago, actually. Yes, and uh, the next picture is uh, this is, and, and a lot of contrast too. This is Batumi, uh, the seacoast, the two main cities. The biggest city is Tbilisi, the capital, that's where we are, and that's where the church is. And, and also, besides that, we do ministry in different regions. And one of them is in Batumi, the seacoast, black seacoast. It became a pearl, beautiful. Uh, yeah. And then the important fact about Georgia is that uh, Georgia was the second country, and next slide will show, uh, that uh, received Christianity as a state religion. In the Mirian II was the name of the king. In the early 4th century, uh, it says 324, though it may be 307. Uh, there are different versions, but historical opinions about that. But, but that's a fact. And uh, uh, after Armenia, Armenia was the uh, first one, but they received it their own version. The Georgia was, took an Eastern Orthodox path. Byzantic, you know, Eastern Church path, tradition. Uh, and uh, today, and the missionary was, her name was Nino. It was actually a lady. Uh, gospel was, was preached there before, according to tradition by Apostle Andrew. But uh, the king ex received it, decided, and then again, the country has no choice when the king decides, right? This was how it was, uh, you know, in ancient days. So uh, the, the gospel was preached then by Saint Nino, a missionary from Cappadocia, common Turkey, nowadays Turkey. Uh, very Christ-centric, real historic person. So, and then Georgia takes its tradition since that for 1700 years, Eastern Orthodox tradition. Can we see some churches? The oldest church, you see it below the middle picture, small Byzantine style church. I touched the stones, some, you know, that because there were so many, 29 invasions over, this, over this, the thousands of years. The churches were destroyed constantly, constantly destroyed and rebuilt, destroyed and rebuilt. But the original stones are the lower levels, so they're there. The bigger stone is a little uglier, you know, shape. You know, this is the original one and the color also revealed. So it's the early sixth century. 
6th century, 500 and something. Late, actually, late 5th, early 6th century built. Yeah, uh, and then the other churches above, you see, it's from different regions. This early church is uh, the earliest, the oldest church is in the heart of Tbilisi, the capital, that holds, by the way, half of the population of Georgia, and hundreds of churches like that. 10th century, 11th century, 12th century, 8th century, 7th century, everywhere. This history is present there. And uh, for Georgians, next slide, please. Uh, Eastern Orthodox tradition has become an identity, deep into DNA. Uh, it's very rigid. I think it's the strongest Orthodox culture among all Eastern Orthodox. You don't hear about Orthodoxy much here. You hear about Catholic churches, you hear about uh, you know, different type of evangelical Protestant churches, but there is one Greek Orthodox church though in the area, I know. However, um, uh, Georgia, for Georgian, it's, it's all who they are under the sun. It's everything. It's, uh, it's the tradition that you should not betray. And if you are Georgian, if you are not Orthodox, that you betray the tradition. That's how I am, how they view me. And, and because the church doesn't really focus on the gospel. That they, there is not much preaching at all, at, at all from the scripture. It's not focused on Jesus, on the, on, on the good news. Uh, this, people are illiterate in, in scripture. I mean, priests don't know scripture. Uh, it's, it's all ritual, it's liturgic, it's doing, you know, all work-oriented. Um, and there is no such a concept as a personal relationship with Jesus even. Uh, it has become a biggest stumbling block for the gospel, for our people. And actually, they will probably stone me for that, but uh, the, the biggest idol our nation follows is, put it in one word, it's tradition. Put it in, break it down, it's the institution as a church and uh, the patriarch, the head. His word is like God's word, you don't criticize it. You are not allowed to criticize it. And it, it's priesthood and, and so, however, this is how it looks like in most churches, you know, a lot of icons, they pray to icons, they put candles, etc. and it's all liturgic, it's all ritualistic, there is no Bible, the word is not preached. And, uh, but, but God is at work and uh, you have been faithful partners and friends in the gospel, in the country, in Georgia for years. And this is one of the, one of the recent uh, new church plant in Helva Chauri, in Georgia, near Batumi, near Turkish border, like 10 miles away from Turkish border. <coughs> and this guy who, who, who actually planted the church, and most of those people uh, are just new Christians. They, they received Jesus not a long ago. Uh, some of them are baptized, some, of, some are not yet. And this guy has been a partner in ministry. He, I invested in, in him a lot. His eyes are closed for some reason. He's just, he's an evangelist. He's, he's on fire for the Lord. He, and teenagers love him. I mean, he, he just, they got stick to him. So, and, uh, and I try to encourage him a lot and be, you know, and, and, and be alongside with this guy and invest and help and bless. And so he's one of our partners. And we can see a couple more, more pictures. And this is, uh, Georgia has become a place, a refuge, a land of refuge for nations. This is Iranian ministry we did. It's an Iranian church we started in Belisi, and uh, some people who um, who actually were five were baptized at that very day. I just didn't bring the pictures of all of them. And uh, this guy Arash uh, is a new. I mean, right now not already that new, but uh, a couple of years ago. But uh, a follower of Jesus, he studies his Bible. He just asks so many questions. And then uh, the, we celebrated the baptism afterwards in our church building, Georgians and Iranians together. You see some of the pictures of that. And then we did a lot of VBS. Can we see the next slide? 
And that's what we hope we'll do with you again. Uh, and, uh, so come on board. Let's uh, take the gospel, the light to Georgians together. There is 0.2 or maximum 0.3 of the whole population that are Bible focused, Bible reading, Bible believing, evangelical type of Christians of any kind. Only a little drop in the society. Statistically, we almost don't exist, but we do exist, and God is at work. You know, and there are lots of Slavic nations, a massive exodus from Russia, from Belarus, from Ukraine because of the war. Uh, many of them find their place in Georgia. Hundreds of thousands of Russian speakers in Georgia, and this is the door. God is bringing nations to our country, a door for gospel, the wonderful doors. Yeah, but let, um, yeah, and, and, and the last slide is my son, uh, my middle son is much younger. He was probably five years ago. In the National costume. Yeah, this is Georgian national costumes, you know. Not that we really fight with swords, we don't anymore, but, but it's nice, you know. And, and some, some uh, prayer needs, you can pray for us. Uh, and please remember, have Georgia on your minds, right? Have Georgia <laughs> on your minds, yes. Okay, let's, uh, let's go to the scripture. Uh, we, Austin already read it, and he refused to read it in Georgian. Very sad. You, you guys, you have to know, brothers and sisters, my friends, you know, we'll be speaking Georgian in heaven. You start learning now, it's a hard language to learn. So, uh, It's actually a unique language, Georgian, I mean literally, alphabet and language. It's one of the existing unique languages, only Georgians use it. Only, it's not part of any other language group, right? Not Turkic, not Cyrillic, in the alphabet, and not uh, Slavic, etc., etc. So, however, let's go, to, let's go back to uh, Matthew 26, 1, 16. A parallel passage is 12, 1, 8. You can kind of take a look at it too. Uh, this is a very, uh, to me, it's one of the most beautiful, one of the most beautiful passages. Very tragic, though, at the same time, somehow at the same time. It's full of contrasts. And just imagine... It's the first, first uh, episode, first part of this uh, uh, narrative is at Caiaphas, uh, the high priest, the main leader, main guy, main spiritual guy, uh, spiritual leader of the, of the Israel at that time. Uh, it's his courtyard where they gather together with other high priests. They call a high priest, even if you are a former high priest, until you die, they call everyone high priest. So every former high priest is a high priest. So, so all the high priests together, with elders, and there we see the dark clouds coming, you know, uh, at that, that very spot. Because we see a plot, a desire to kill Jesus. He became so uncomfortable, an innocent man, but to the level that they decided to liquidate him. Hey, let's get him, get over it. Let's get away the problem, you know, decided. But they say, you know, there are too many people. It's a Passover period. It's a big feast, the biggest feast for Israelites, for every Jew, every proselyte. And so let's do it afterwards so that there is no riot. Because Jesus is from Galilee, and there are many Galileans that are coming to Jerusalem to worship on the Passover. So, and plus other people, and we don't want to bring any, you know, any, uh, any riot kind of possibility there. But then later on, uh, the narrative tells us that Judas actually makes their task easier. He just goes and says, hey, I will betray him. What will you give, give me? So, will e easier their task. So, the dark clouds. And then, the narrative moves to the small house from the Caiaphas uh, courtyard to the house. Someone called Simon. There are a lot of Simons. Actually, 10 Simons in the New Testament mentions uh, different Simons. It's a popular name uh, than there. Uh, and, and who was a leper 
and who was uh, probably healed by Jesus most likely and following Jesus most likely, hosting Jesus who came to worship his, his, uh, his uh, Easter Passover meal and worship by giving his life on the, on the uh, uh, cross as being uh, the, the fulfillment of the true, being a true Passover, right? So... Uh, uh, we, it moves to the house of Simon and there is a beautiful picture of a lady, beautiful, that gives the most precious to him. Uh, and then again, uh, a dark clouds kind of come down and betrayal of Judas, a friend um, and disciple and apostle, one of the 12. Have a friend ever betray you guys? Uh, it's painful when someone you think treats you bad, someone you love and you do anything bad, but, but this is tragic. It's more than, more than just bad. However, um, it happens in Bethany, a house of oppression, literally, that's what it means. Small village near Jerusalem. Uh, and we will be focusing our, on four different groups on that narrative, on this episode. It's a high priest um, and elders, uh, Judas, we don't go in order. And then uh, disciples, other disciples, and then a uh, lady, this woman, who, is, who was a Mary, it was Mary, actually, uh, who brought the incense uh, to him, the fragrance. So high priests and elders. You know, we have to understand, this, this is a Passover time. I mean, back then, the cities were not big, and not like Houston, not like Dallas, not like New York. Cities were small. But on the Passover, if a city reaches like 10, 20, and it most, the biggest city is 100,000, it's, it's a huge city, it's a mega city, you know, uh, back then in ancient world. But during the Passover, uh, Josephus, a famous uh, historian of that period, he tells us that one of the year, it was counted how many Passover lambs were slaughtered in the first century. And they counted 256,000 lambs slaughtered at the Passover in Jerusalem in the first century, which means, and he concludes that there were at least that very year, 2.750,000 people coming to worship in, in Jerusalem uh, for the Passover. Why? Because one lamb is not eaten by one person, not even as one family, at least two families, 10 people at least would eat it together at night, this Passover time, Passover meal. So, it was packed. There were too many people to, in Jerusalem and all surrounding towns. And this is why also Jesus and his disciples, they go to the smaller town, not in Jerusalem, to stay there for the Passover, right? It's nearby. And uh, so Joseph Caiaphas was a high priest at that time, a spiritual leader of Israel. And he was a high priest for 18 years. It's within the 100, of, 100 years, 37 before uh, Christ and uh, 67 AD, there were 28 high priests. The Romans just, you know, they appointed and took over uh, the high priests as they wished. Average time of uh, this, you know, this uh, term for each high priest was about two and a half years. But Joseph Caius was for 18 years until he dies. Well, you can tell he was a good politician. He, he knew how to how to keep his status quo, right? He played well with Romans. And uh, so the, it, this situation was really explosive at the Passover times. And, uh, and so what happens at the very place, I mean, if we think through, you know, the high priests, spiritual leaders with other priests, high priests, with elders in his courtyard at the very place where they should, where the honoring God should have reigned where honoring and serving God, where mercy, truth, 
and justice should prevail. At that very place, what do we see? We see a plot of murder of innocent. And that's a huge tragedy, right, isn't it? There's so many people, religious leader, religious and, 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 and the nation's leaders, instead of honoring God, serving people, instead of, uh, you know, uh, uh, cultivating love and mercy and justice, uh, they decide to liquidate the one who was not comfortable to the level, to that level, to them. They serve their ambitions. They serve their status quo. They, they try to keep their power and money. It always goes together. Power goes money and money goes together. Uh, the very place where justice should reign, there is injustice, there is evil, the dark clouds. Uh, that's what we see. Uh, because Jesus was become too uncomfortable, he interfered with them. Uh, he became, he actually started to threaten their status. They saw, saw a danger, they saw danger in him uh, for their power, for their comfort, for their goals, for their money, for their, yeah, their desires and plans. Uh, for, for their status, uh, they saw a danger. Uh, but, um, you know, it's, um, so many people do the same in this world, in this fallen, distorted world by the sin. Instead of honoring God, instead of doing the best for people, they serve themselves, they serve their ambitions, they serve their goals, and they just are willing to pay any price uh, to keep it, uh, uh, right? So, and then, and then we see, we will move to Judas Iscariot from that, from these dark clouds to another darker uh, side of the scene, who is a friend. Jesus calls his disciples friends. He's a friend, he's a disciple, he's an apostle, one of the 12. And something clicks in his mind after this episode, after this beautiful episode where the lady pours and gives all the most expensive fragrance to Jesus. And he decides, okay, and he goes and tells them, what will you give me if I betray him? And they say, okay, 30 argurion or shekels, 30 silvers, which was, is an, an equivalent of 120 denarius. One denarius is a day wage of a worker at that time. And this was two and a half times less than this jar uh, of the fragrance that that lady brought to Jesus, right? Uh, it says that it was 300 denarii worth. So, uh, my friends, brothers and sisters, I mean, there, there are high priests, elders, evil there where should be justice, but evil. They decide, they serve their ambitions, they put their ambitions higher, they put their uh, comfort higher, money and power and status higher. And then Judas, disappointed, and giving Jesus for 30 silvers, betraying him, uh, because, uh, uh, because he found something more precious than Jesus, right? It was money in this case. But, but where are we uh, on this scene? Are we there? Does it relate to us at all? Do you think so? It's, it was 2,000 years ago. I was not at Caiaphas courtyard, we may say, right? None of us was there. And then I am not Judas, certainly. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't betray Jesus. Uh, well, I think we all are on that picture, brothers and sisters, my friends. We can see, we should find ourselves there. Yeah, we were not there at Caiaphas uh, courtyard, but... Just as Jesus threatens their comfort, their goals, their desires, their plans, their life, he threatens sometimes ours as well. Uh, uh, and just as them serving their ambitions, putting their will higher than God's will, 
we many times put our will and our comfort higher than what Jesus wants from us. Jesus, just discipleship is not comfortable, really. It's, uh, the, the, the biblical discipleship is not comfortable. It's costly. It's at times dangerous. It's always risky. And it's not comfortable, for sure. Uh, we can say, praise God, it wasn't me. I wasn't there. Praise the Lord. But actually, if we were at the place of those people, being one of the high priests, most likely we would do the same. We would work, work the same, most likely. That's because our nature. Uh, but, with, uh, but even so, if not physically, even so, uh, we, we were not present there. We do too put our goals and our pride and our comfort and ambitions higher than God's will in our life. Uh, how many times in life we choose in our daily following Jesus, our will over his will, our ambitions over his will, our comfort over his will. We do the same in a sense. We don't do exactly the same. We, we do the same in a sense. When we choose our, our life, our goals, our desires, our ambitions higher. How many times we choose pleasing ourselves over pleasing God or pleasing people over pleasing God, honoring God. We constantly put our will, our desires higher. I do, our ego. We're not willing the price to pay the cost of discipleship. We like discipleship. We don't really quite want to pay the price. A discipleship is not cheap. It has a price. And then speaking of Judas, well, well the creation raises, well, who brought, what brought Jesus to the cross? Especially as we are preparing for the Easter uh, Sundays, our minds, our hearts go towards there, towards the cross. You know, what, what was it? Was it Judas who betrayed Jesus? Yes, he betrayed Jesus. There is his responsibility in there. Yeah, but, but was, it, was it maybe even, uh, even high priests who actually decided to kill Jesus? Yes, we can say so. Uh, it was their responsibility too. But, but how about Pilate, who was the ruler of the region, who may actually gave the order, make the decision, uh, you, you know, of the death penalty. He knew Jesus is innocent. He didn't believe he's a Messiah. He's Roman. He's, you know, he's not Jew. But, but uh, and Jews didn't believe too, uh, many. Uh, but, uh, but he had to make a just decision and he didn't. So is it his responsibility maybe? Yes, it is. It is his responsibility as well. He takes part in that. And how about people who were praising, saying, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David, to the Messiah, messianic term, son of David. And then the same crowd at Pilate's courtyard uh, shouting out, crucify him, his blood is on us and on our children. Maybe them, yes, them too, right. How about the, the, the Roman soldiers who actually performed? Well, they only did what they should do, it's their job, right? But they actually physically did that, right? But besides all of them, my friends, we should see ourselves. It's our sin that brought Jesus to the cross. It's us, it's Judas, it's high priest, it's Pilate, it's uh, Romans, but it's us eventually. Our sin caused it. Uh, we were the reason, each one of us was the reason for the beautiful and dramatic and tragic the most painful penalty known in the Roman world, uh, world, and not only Roman world, actually, uh, of the cross, the suffering on the cross, sometimes took for one week, you know, the person who, who was crucified. So uh, uh, the, the John Stott, a 
wonderful theologian and teacher and preacher and writer, he just phrases it beautifully. Beautifully. Uh, we can try, he says, to wash our hands and to re relieve ourselves of responsibility as Pilate did. But our efforts will be just as fertile, fertile, fertile. It's a Georgian, Georgian accent, you know, that's a, the only proper English accent. Our efforts will be just as fertile for our hands are covered in blood. Because before we begin to perceive the cross as something done for us, leading us to repentance, to trust, to faith, to love, uh, we have to, we must perceive it as something done by us. We have caused the cross. That should be the first step. And then we receive the cross. We receive God's grace, God's love. Before we perceive it as something done for us, we must realize it's something done by us. Before we realize how big is God's grace, huge, we have to realize how deep is my sin. Otherwise, we won't get God's grace. Otherwise, it's a cheap grace, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer said. Cheap, God's grace is not cheap. It was costly. Costed the father, the most precious. It's his son. Costed the son of God, fully God, being son, but fully God. One essence with father, Holy Spirit. His life, he willingly submit the will of the father. He willingly did it. Became man, fully man, fully God became man to give his life on the cross. The, the grace is not cheap. Very expensive, costly. Uh, so, and we cannot wash our hands uh, in that. Well, the third, uh, the third uh, category of people is disciples. Well, seeing, you know, they, they watch there, and I intentionally put Mary afterwards. Uh, they, they, they actually lay down, you know, uh, kind of semi lay down, and then there is a table in the middle, and they see a lady comes in, it's Mary. She just uh, pours a big jar. They used, they, actually, they had small jars because every drop is very expensive of that essence brought from far India, imported. You know, they, they, they anointed kings and priests and rulers and rich people could afford it to have themselves a little jars and they would put a couple of drops and do it like that and put it on their hair so the essence would, you know, just follow them wherever they go. But she just pours a whole jar. It's, it's two-thirds of a, of a bottle, size-wise. Two-thirds of a bottle of water, uh, you know, size-wise. Uh, uh, and just pours it. And, and disciples... Uh, reaction, what is disciples' reaction? She, they say that there's one phrase that says it, just, just hits it. Why such a waste? They got mad, it said. The text says they got mad at her. And John says, you know, they also say, it could have been sold and we could give it to the poor, etc. And Jesus says, you have poor always, we do not have me. And Jesus tells, he rebukes disciples, says, leave her alone. What they consider waste, Jesus considers as a beautiful thing, beautiful act. He says, leave her alone. She done a beautiful thing to me. Or other translations say noble or good, which can mean both. Uh, beautiful thing to me. What Jesus considers beautiful, disciples consider waste. But what, what is it? What is it? Uh, well, why is it? Let's, let's ask why is it? Why? Because... Uh, well, disciples are with Jesus, right? They, they follow Jesus. They already uh, are sent to preach. They already heal. They are, it has been almost three years. The disciples are with Jesus everywhere. You know, they serve, they give, they follow. They are disciples. 
but there are what I call a moderate. Their, their understanding of following Jesus is a reasonable, moderate, to a certain level limited commitment. They love Jesus, but their love is moderate, reasonable, limited. They follow Jesus. They sacrifice for Jesus, but this sacrifice, this follow, uh, this discipleship is a reasonable. Why such a waste? This lady brought, and she is not a rich lady. Her family uh, is not a rich family. Bethany, she lived in Bethany too. Martha, Maria, and Lazarus probably was that Martha, uh, Maria, uh, Mary. Uh, it's not a rich family, but she brought the most expensive, the most precious she had. Why? And she gave it to Jesus. Why? Because Jesus was more, more precious. Than, than, than whatever she has had most precious, right? She had most precious, but Jesus was even more precious, but not for disciples, because in their understanding, to give to Jesus, yes, to serve Jesus, yes, to follow Jesus, yes, why not? To sacrifice, yes, but reasonably, you know, don't go too far, don't go too crazy, you know, I mean, not, don't, don't, this is, this is a waste. Well, is our, our discipleship a moderate discipleship? Do we follow Jesus daily, serve Jesus, whether in the family or wherever we are or here in the church, reasonably? Do we give reasonably? Do we love reasonably, moderately, with limits, keeping for ourselves the other part, you know? Give several drops is fine, maybe even more than drops, you know? But not the whole jar, it's, it costs 300 denarius, you know? 10 months of a working wage. Um, is our discipleship moderate? You know, we, we talked about cheap grace or costly grace. God's grace is costly. Is our answer, response, is it a cheap discipleship? My response. You know, do I follow Jesus? Do I give? Do I love? Do I perceive? Do I want to be with him and, and grow in my relationship moderately? Reasonably, do I sacrifice reasonably, moderately, or fully? Do I love fully uh, uh, without a trace? Well, uh, the Mary, the fourth uh, character in the in this scene, she didn't think much. She just brought all the precious she had. And she gave all the precious to Jesus. Um, and the essence, this aroma of this fragrance filled the house, John says in the parallel passage. And it just filled the history, the human history, the church history, this beauty. Beauty of what she did. But disciples take a reasonable and moderate approach. But let me ask you, is God's grace towards us reasonable and moderate? Did God love us reasonably and moderately within the reasonable limits, you know? Did he? If so, there would be no cross in history. There would be no cross and he gave the most precious yet. God's love to us. God's grace to us, towards us. The cross is the most radical love ever in the history of the universe in the human history. He gave all of he had, the most precious, his son. His son, Jesus, our Lord, he gave all of you that he gave his life. Tortured, 
badly on the cross for us, instead of us, because of us, so we may live forever, so we may be saved. Is it a moderate love? Is it a moderate grace? Is it a reasonable love? Uh, no, it's not. No, it is not. And the time is uh, passing. I promise I'll be shorter this, uh, you know, this time. Uh, so brothers and sisters, the question really, it's a discipleship question we ask. You know, uh, God's, God's grace is not cheap. It costed him everything. Just like Mary. And see, I didn't mention God among those four characters intentionally. Because even Mary is not in the center of this narrative. She is the beautiful part of that narrative, shining in the midst of the dark clouds of betrayal and, and murder plot. Shining uh, of, uh, with this act of love to Jesus. But even she is not the center. The center is Jesus himself of this narrative. It, it, even her love is not the biggest love on this picture. It's God's love that is the biggest love on this picture. And we say it's just that the author, Matthew, just gives a little introduction in this, in, in this text. He says, you know that after two days the Passover is coming and the Son of Man, the Son of Man will be handed over uh, the crucifixion. Over for crucifixion. And then Jesus says, leave her alone to disciples. She prepared my body. And this is the biggest love on this picture. But this is not a moderate love, right? This is not a reasonable love. He gave everything for us. And Mary reflects this love. This is the response. This is the response of a disciple, of a someone who loves Jesus and who, who accepted Jesus. Uh, and not like the other 11, who will actually give their lives for Jesus later on. Many of them will, most of them will, except for John. Uh, but, uh, but they will give their lives for Jesus. But the question for us, uh, questions for us today, uh, I think it's a practical question. And I think no one can say this is not relevant to us. In, in, there, is, there are different cultures, right? I'm from Georgia. We don't care about time and tasks. We care about relationships. So that's why the time may, may, you know, may just pass by. I, you know, I won't stop you healthy. Barry, brother, you have to stop me. Say, stop, enough, stop. So, uh, and what, but, but, but this is relevant for any culture. It just pierces the cultures, pierces years and centuries. It, what is Jesus worthy of in our life? Is my following Jesus, is my love to Jesus like Mary's without a trace? Do I love reasonably? Other words. Do I love moderately? Do I follow in my daily life, life uh, Jesus, reasonably and moderately? Keeping parts for myself. Or do I love with all my heart, with all my uh, life? Or do I give it all to Jesus? Am I ready? Do I want to give the most precious just as Mary to Jesus. He did give us the most precious himself. Father gave his son. The son gave himself. Um, what is Jesus worthy of? Is he worthy of all my heart, all my life, and all my love? Or, uh, or not, you know? Uh, uh, discipleship can never be cheap, my brothers and sisters. 
real discipleship is never moderate, is never reasonable. Uh, is he the most precious and valuable in my life? How does it reflect? If he is in my personal life, perhaps my life should look a little different. No? Don't you think so? What should change so he becomes the most precious in your life, in my life? Is Christ worthy of the most valuable of our lives? All of my life without a trace, all of my heart without a trace, all of my dedication, submission to his will without a trace, all of my love without leftovers to myself. Is he worthy? Is he worthy? Uh, yes, God's grace, God's love uh, is not moderate. So Isaiah 53, 5, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. First Peter 2, 24, he himself bore our sins to his, in his body to the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. For by his wounds we are healed. Uh, 3.18, First Peter, for Christ also died for sins once for all, just for the unjust, so that we might bring, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. God made him who had no sin to be seen for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Leave Ephesians 5.2, a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us as a fragrant, fragrant offering. We come back to the idea of fragrant, right? Fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. His grace, his love, the cross is not reasonable. It's radical, it's absolute. It's without a trace is my response, is my discipleship, is my following, pursuing, serving, giving, putting his will above my will, uh, moderate and reasonable or complete and full, uh, just like Mary's. Amen. Let's pray. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, Please forgive me, Lord. Please forgive all of us that we so many times do just like disciples, Lord. We follow you. We love following you. We love serving you. We love pursuing you. But we do it reasonably. We do it moderately. We do it within limits. And thank you for this beautiful picture of Mary, Lord, who gives without a lot of thinking, Lord, without consequences, without anything, the most precious she had to you right away, without doubt, Lord. And you consider it as a beautiful act. Lord, may you receive our lives and our hearts as that fragrance, Lord. May you help us to love you radically, Lord. Um, to follow you, not reasonably, but radically, Lord. Absolutely, without a trace, Lord. 
We worship you, Jesus. We thank you for the cross. And we pray in your name. In the name of Jesus, the most high and the most precious name. Amen.